welcome to another Psych Matters podcast from the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. Psych Matters is a series of discussions on training and practice issues facing trainees and fellows of the college. Peer review groups provide a setting for psychiatrists and other members to undertake continuing learning and professional development from sharing and discussing work experience and issues with peers. While many groups meet face-to-face, online collaboration platforms enable virtual meetings to be conducted with members located almost anywhere in the world. In this episode of Psych Matters, Professor Richard Harvey leads a discussion on how to run a virtual peer review group. So welcome to uh, another podcast from the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. Uh, Today's podcast is all about running a virtual peer review group. Uh, So I'm Richard Harvey. I'm a psychiatrist based in the Western District of Victoria near Geelong. Uh, With me today, I've got uh, Dave Cutts, who's a psychiatrist up in northern New South Wales. And we're also very lucky to have Penny Brassey with us, who is a psychiatrist who's based in uh, what sounds rather wonderful, but uh, rural France. Um, The topic of virtual peer review groups, uh, it has certainly been something that has been on the mind of the Committee for Continuing Professional Development, of which I'm the deputy chair for some time. Uh, We have been trying to work towards encouraging uh, particularly psychiatrists who are overseas uh, to be part of our peer review program. And I think for many years, there have been a small number of virtual peer review groups. But obviously, with all of the things that have happened over uh, the last six months or so with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, um, there's really been a much greater focus on peer review groups needing to go uh, virtual in order to continue to function. Um, and we're hoping that going forwards that this, this is also going to continue. Um, what we might do first is really probably hear about the experience of virtual peer review groups from Dave. So I might hand over to Dave and just tell us about your experience in setting up and running a peer review group and, and the group that you run. Thanks, Richard. Uh, so our peer review groups, um, actually a fairly um, long existing one, about uh, a bit over 11 years now. Um, the uh, establishment of the group uh, actually came through some funding that uh, um, the WA branch of the College of Psychiatrists had from the federal government for psychiatrists working in remote rural uh, contexts. I was working in a rural and uh, remote setting at that stage. Uh, and um, so the peer group came together for a year or so, which was how long the funding was. But I think the members found it a very useful um, thing. And so it's continued. And uh, and we've had um, a sort of a series of new members um, as time has gone by. But uh, many of the core core members are still with us after 11 years. And how did you start that? Because obviously, we've all become used to using technologies like Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and everything else for virtual calls. Um, but I would say that, you know, even two or three years ago, uh, I would find it very, very difficult to get people to join uh, any sort of online meeting. How, how did you get started? And uh, how did you get it running? Well, there was uh, there were enough um, people with a need to um, uh, you know be able to attend a, a group like that. We had the assistance of the college to find those people, and the technology that we used. I actually, can't remember what it was for the first first year or so, but um, this is an important issue. I think we might talk about the platform issues uh, a bit down the track. But uh, we um, we started using some software called Zoom, which is still available, and we still use that software. Uh, and to an extent, we're stuck with that. Um, uh, there's some inertia, I guess, in in, in the group. Uh, um, uh, so, uh, but it's, and it's worked very well from, from day one. 
Well, that, that's very good to hear. And, and Penny, um, tell us what the weather is like in rural France and how you come to be part of uh, Dave's group. Uh, the weather is beautiful here in, in rural France. Thank you. Um, and uh, Dave was kind enough to let me join all oh, about four years ago was the day when I'm, or a little bit more, when I moved um, to rural France, where is, which is where I am most of the time. But I do come back and do locums in Australia for two to three months of the year. And I think that um, virtual peer review groups have a very specific uh, um, utility for people who do locums because they really struggle to find peer review experiences which uh, have the continuity that one needs. One really needs to feel a sense of connection and trust with the people in a peer review group. And so um, I think that's really been very useful for me. So no matter where I'm doing my locum, um, I, I have the continuity of Dave and I am a member of another, um, in fact, two other virtual peer review groups. The one focuses on child and adolescent psychiatry, and that's for people who do locums, so they move around a lot. Um, and the other one is for specific interests. So I think that when you might have an interest, and um, my interest is in uh, psychodynamically informed um, psychotherapeutic approaches to ch child and adolescent psychiatry, and that's um, slightly out of the mainstream. And there are a group of people who are distributed. They're not all in one place who are interested in that particular way of working. And so they, we formed a peer review group. And it allows you to further some uh, subspecialist skills, um, which is difficult um, with the face-to-face -face peer review group because everybody's sort of scattered around. So I've, I've found it enormously useful. Um, and... Um, it complements a lot of the, the online work I do. So I, I do online supervision um, and online um, some online therapy as well. Um, so without the, the peer, virtual peer review groups, I would feel very cut off. But I worked in Townsville for many years, and I think for um, we have a couple of people in the other peer group, review groups who are from regional areas. I think it's really useful uh, because you can... Um, uh, find a peer review group that isn't just gen generic psychiatry or if you're the only child and adolescent practitioner in an area, you'll be able to find a peer review group that'll meet those um, needs. So I think you're raising a number of points there about the sort of drivers, about why we have virtual peer review groups or how they can be useful. Uh, so I think you've identified and Dave identified the issue of rural and remote and potentially isolated psychiatrists who need to be part of a peer review group. Um, there's the issue of locums, and certainly in my peer, virtual peer review group, I've got a couple of people that do locums who move around a lot, uh, and the difficulty of them ma maintaining a connection with a um, with a group of psychiatrists that they are familiar and, as you say, comfortable with. Um, I think that's another really interesting one: the idea of virtual, very specific or very specialised peer review groups, where uh, groups of psychiatrists that are likely to be geographically isolated but have very specific interests, or geographically in different locations, can come together and share their specific interests. 
Um, and I, th I think those are all, you know, really very, very valid and, 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 and helpful ways to think about, you know, how we can uh, encourage more of uh, more virtual peer groups to be set up. Um, so, Penny, how did you find your, the three peer groups you said you're in? How did you actually go about finding them? Well, um, the college was very helpful in, in uh, with uh, joining Dave's group because I contacted them and explained my situation and said I would like to join a, um, a virtual peer review group and they put me in touch. Um, the other two groups the um, I formed myself. The one was um, initially a face-to-face -face group in Brisbane. But what happened was that people, there was somebody on the Sunshine Coast and um, it became more and more difficult because there's obviously time, you know, if you're meeting in the middle of Brisbane, um, for most people, that's a huge chunk of their day that they're going to have to drive, park, you know, and people have other commitments. So we noticed it was quite difficult um, to keep the, the attendance high enough. Um, and then when I moved, I suggested to the members that um, we go virtual and everyone was very happy to do that. So that was the one child and adolescent group. The other one, um, which is the um, uh, more, uh, the locum group um, is, is a group of colleagues and uh, we all do locums. Um, we used to work in town school together and we all have the same needs. So um, that was also started off actually as joining a college suggested site, but all those original members virtually have dropped away. And now it's a question of bringing in fresh membership. That's the other thing. It's about um, being open to new members, I think is quite important. Yes. Uh, so, so obviously one thing we'd want all of the listeners to be aware of is the college's website. So once you've logged into the college website, if you click on uh, the My CPD part of it, uh, you can actually see all of the available uh, CPD peer groups and you can now search uh, for online peer groups and see who is actually accepting new members. Um, and certainly that, you know, I've, I'm involved with two peer review groups. Uh, for many years, I've run a face-to-face -face peer group in Geelong, which is broadly just for Geelong-based psychiatrists, or we have had occasionally have people come from Melbourne. Um, that group has had to transition to being online uh, with the with the pandemic. Um, but uh, about 18 months ago, I set up another specifically an online peer review group because there seemed to be a relatively small number of them when we looked online and the CCPD committee had identified that it was a need. So I thought, well, I will just set something up. And initially it was literally just me. Uh, and, but fairly quickly, I got quite a few people just uh, you know spontaneously contacting me uh, and asking to join. And we've become actually a group of now about, there's about 10 of us. Um, there's a couple of locums, there's somebody in Cairns, uh, there's somebody in uh, sort of southern Queensland, a couple of people in Sydney, somebody in the ACT, and a couple of people uh, in Melbourne, I think somebody in Tasmania. So we've sort of picked up a lot of people, largely all in the same time zone, which makes it sort of fairly easy for scheduling meetings. And it's become very popular. Uh, and it's been surprising to me how much interest there was. I was a bit 
concerned about how it would be forming a relationship with a number of psychiatrists that I hadn't met before, just doing it by video. But actually, I, I think we've bonded really well. And um, we've used the sessions for all sorts of uh, supporting each other, particularly uh, recently with the pandemic. Uh, we talk about cases. We do all of the things we would do in a normal face-to-face -face peer group. Um, so I, I wonder whether we go back and talk a little bit more about platforms, Dave, and uh, uh, tell us about your thoughts about, you know, how if you're thinking about taking your peer group virtual or you're thinking about setting up a virtual peer group, how do you decide what platform to use? Okay, well, I think that that's a, that's a potentially a long session, but also I think, um, you know, we could keep it quite simple here. There's so many platforms available, and it's really just a a matter of choosing one, I guess, that, uh, that that you feel comfortable with, that um, provides the the option, I think, for um, audio and uh, and video connection. I have to say that uh, our group works quite well, even though many of the members don't use the cameras, and that that uh, might reflect the fact that um, some of us have got uh, less high quality broadband connections, but also that um, I think the this, this platform we use perhaps isn't as good as some of the, the others that are available. Everyone is using Zoom these days. My mother uses, you know, my elderly mother uses Zoom for book clubs and she spends half her life on, on Zoom. And so that's obviously a solution that's that's available. But there are, there are a host of others. I think there is some information already on, on the college side and or on some existing webinars about some of the technical aspects there. Um, uh, but some flexibility is needed as well. I think, you know, the capacity for some members to join by, by telephone. Um, we often have problems with um, people trying to join in from work uh, and are not aware, have forgotten that there are things like organisational firewalls that can get in the way. Um, so um, running tests with new members, you know, just to give them a good experience to start with, doing a test connection in advance. Um, but the technology works pretty reliably these days for most people and it's not complex. I think you're right. As you say, uh, again, a year or so ago before the pandemic, uh, people used to really struggle. Uh, I tried a number of different platforms. I used Amazon Chime for a while, which allows video and audio and people to dial in, but it never worked really very well. Even Zoom didn't work that well to start with, but it seems that there's been such a big investment by the technology companies in these technologies that it has got easier. And uh, as you say, um, even everybody's mother is now using Zoom uh, and similar things. The, to me, the, the keys to success is having something where there is a link that people can connect to rather than trying to use, because you can just use a, a mobile phone and bring lots of people in together on that, but it's a little awkward to set up the call. Having something where you can send out a link, people just have to collect, connect, click on the link and then connect. Um, and it does seem to me that some platforms seem a little bit more stable and the audio and the video is better, but broadly they're all using the same technology um, and it is just, it is, as you say, it's just a matter of pick one and try it. And if it doesn't work, well, choose a different one. Um, and as long as it can generate a link, that's all the people need each month for the peer review group. And often people don't mind that much if you do switch from platform to platform. And, and Penny, being very distant, so, you know, literally uh, virtually on the other side of the planet, do, does that cause any problems, uh, you know, uh, with with connectivity or audio or video quality. I'm, I'm looking at Penny on video as we're talking, and it's been absolutely perfectly clear the whole time we've been talking. Um, no, I haven't had um, any issues really at all. And I have the advantage of it's the morning for me. 
whereas it's the evening for everybody else. So uh, that uh, that confers that advantage. But I wanted to say too, Dave, that I <clears throat> I'm realizing that uh, you know Dave's a real wizard with the technology and. We have presentations and he shares the screen. So in some ways, that's actually better than face-to-face -face because you can actually see the presentation in front of you, whereas many face-to-face -face, uh, peer review groups are in a setting where it's difficult to do that. So um, that adds to uh, the benefits, um, I think, that we can actually, he shares the screen and then we can see the presentation for ourselves. So, um, but the connectivity is not a problem um, at all. And Richard, we have people in the Maldives and in Northern Ireland and other parts of the world that join in regularly as well. So um, I think the only country we've had strife with was uh, we, we had a, a member who was in Papua New Guinea, but, and they couldn't, couldn't make it, but uh, that reflected internet issues. Yeah, and as you say, as long as you've got some sort of internet connection, you've got some sort of device, uh, generally connecting to these sort of virtual groups, doesn't really matter whether you're on a mobile phone or a tablet or a computer or whatever, uh, generally there isn't particularly a problem, other than uh, I would say occasionally with hospitals, and as you say, firewalls in hospitals can sometimes stop uh, connections even for Zoom, although I think a lot of hospitals are adjusting their firewalls to allow um, certainly Zoom calls through because it's such a sort of ubiquitous technology now. Um, Dave, was there anything else important you felt that we needed to talk about? Look, I think we've covered the, the key issues. I, I mean, I, I, had, I made some quick notes for myself, and I think there's some, some things to keep in mind for chairs of um, the meetings that uh, I think that, well, I'm very lucky in, in our group. We have a very cohesive group, and uh, it doesn't require much chairing, much, uh, much rounding up. But I think perhaps think about maybe being a bit more active sometimes than you might be in a face-to-face uh, -face meeting. It's uh, it's hard for the, the quieter members of the group to, to get a word in sometimes, not because, you know, not because the, the less quiet ones uh, dominate necessarily, but, you know, it's just the way that um, the video conferencing works with the delays. So sometimes just sort of being a little bit more active in that way, but um, but not too much. It's, uh, it's pretty much the same as face-to-face, -face, I think. Uh, I'll also say that we, we try hard to um, meet face-to-face -face whenever we get an opportunity. So, you know, a college conference, for example, we'll, we'll have a, um, a dinner together if we can. Uh, and um, most members, when they know there's somewhere near another member, will uh, will go out of their way to have a cup of coffee or, or catch up. And I think that, you know, online works well. I live online uh, for my work and for, for these, these meetings and, and more generally, but uh, it's still nice to, to be in the same space as a person as often as possible. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I was uh, our, our group has now met for I think must be nearly seven months online, and I happened to be out and about today and bumped into one of the members from the group, uh, and it was really nice to see him. and And it felt like I hadn't had it wasn't I hadn't seen him for seven months. It was uh, you know we managed to keep in contact, but then when we did meet in person, uh, it, it didn't feel like I'd missed missed out or missed anything. Um, so I do I do think these provide a really solid and uh, helpful forum and platform to keep us connected as psychiatrists. And to me, it seems such an important thing that we do maintain this, although uh, uh, CPD has become optional uh, during the pandemic. Um, I actually think it's probably particularly peer review and peer connectivity is actually probably more essential than, uh, than ever. Um, Penny, were there any final thoughts you'd like to uh, add from beautiful France? 
where I wish I we think, were. <laughs> I think something I noticed when we transferred from face-to-face to, -face to um, virtual with my psychodynamic uh, psychotherapy peer review group was some anxiety about confidentiality, um, which is an interesting issue really because it's probably as secure as sitting in a in, in a in a room in a restaurant that's been de designated for the purpose really but i think we're probably a little bit more careful uh to de-identify and to be very careful even though it probably doesn't make sense because the technology um, that we use is sufficiently um, encrypted um, but I think that is one um, potential hurdle for people to feel comfortable with presenting clinical material um, in a virtual setting. I think that's a good point, but probably it does actually just reinforce how we should behave when we're when we're face to face, even in a peer group, that there should be that confidentiality and not releasing the actual name of the patient without the patient's consent and certainly not sharing notes. So I suppose it, it is it acts as an additional encouragement to us to be more careful. Um, but as you say, particularly if you choose a platform that's Australian hosted and uh, um, is, you know, that they're I'm confident that all of the mainstream ones are highly secure. Um, I can't see that there is a great deal of risk of breach of confidentiality. There's been, as far as I'm aware, no stories of that happening from anywhere in the world around um, these sort of virtual conferences. Well, I think we might finish up there. Um, I'm very grateful to you, Penny and Dave, for giving up your time today to talk, us, talk to us about virtual peer review groups. Um, I'm sure people are going to find this uh, a really interesting podcast and really useful. And, and I hope that it, it will encourage uh, some other pop, um, peer review group organizers to think about uh, either setting up a new virtual peer group or um, you know, continuing their existing face-to-face -face peer group online even after the pandemic ends, maybe even on an occasional basis. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Dave, for your time, and thank you very much, Penny, for joining us today. Thanks very much, Richard. Thank you very much for the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Psych Matters. Feel free to share it with others and keep an eye out for future episodes. Psych Matters is produced by the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists.